Good morning. You may take a seat. Man, God is good. God is good. I really enjoyed this worship just now. I don't know if y'all did the same, but I thought it was awesome. God is good. For those that don't know me, Dave has already introduced me. I'm David. I'm German. I'm not from around. <laughs> Most important fact, I'm German. <laughs> um, and I'm one of the pastors here at Gathering Church. And over the last few weeks, actually months, we have been talking about the Holy Spirit. We've been on this long journey to discover who the paraclete is, the comforter, the advocate, the helper. We've discovered that the Holy Spirit wants to be part of our lives, get involved in our lives, that God himself wants to partner with us and that he wants to use us to put his super onto our natural to do amazing things. And over the last few weeks, we have been discovering all sorts of ways how that can look like, how the Holy Spirit manifests itself in our lives and that we can, we can all take part in that to edify to one another, to lift each other up, to build each other up. And today I want to continue this discussion with us, with y'all, about the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask this one question, how do we follow that Holy Spirit? How can we follow that Holy Spirit? More specifically, how can we follow that Holy Spirit like Paul, the apostle, did in the New Testament? But before I start, let me pray, because I want that God speaks to me. Y'all shouldn't be hearing my words, y'all should be hearing God's words, right? And I want that all of us are ready to, to open, to hear what God is saying to us each individually, what God wants to put into our hearts today. So let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for your goodness and that you are a God that wants to get involved with our lives, that wants to be part of it, and that just wants to have such a deep relationship with us, God. And I just pray that you use me today as your vessel, that you use me to speak your words, and that each of us will have a heart that is open to listen, that seeds can be planted in our hearts, that you're speaking, and that it will grow to fruitful, fruitful trees, God. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So to start off, I want to read to all y'all Acts 16, and this is the story of Paul. So let me just start right away. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia. Watch out, there's a lot of eras in the, in the names of the cities. So they went through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the border of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. I want y'all. <laughs> But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul, that's the next slide, right? Yep. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in the northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I don't know if you like, like me and find it really interesting because something odd seems to be happening here. 
And for, for that, to, to explore that, I want that all of us are just gonna imagine that we are Paul, okay? Let me give you some backstory about Paul. Paul was a um, Pharisee, one of the sects of the Jewish culture at that time, and he really believed in his stuff, so much so that he thought that these Christians that suddenly started popping up, they were actually a danger for his God, right? For our God. So he started killing and persecuting Christians. And at some point, suddenly Jesus himself revealed himself in front of him in a, in a wide, bright light and saying, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? He's blinded and he goes to the next city that Jesus told him to go. And there he gets healed by a man that was afraid of Paul himself because he's, he would kill me. Why, why should I heal him? But he does it. He's obedient. And he is finally hearing and understanding what it actually means to follow Jesus. He's getting so excited about Jesus and the good news that Jesus Christ came to the world to die for us so that we can finally have a relationship with God. And Paul is so excited about it that he starts to do exactly that, what he has persecuted others for doing, which is spreading the good news, spreading the gospel around. So he is on this long trip and doing multiple journeys, multiple mission journeys. And I want to actually show you all a map. And I wanted to use it with a clicker, but it doesn't, it's, it's not visible. So bear with me. Down there at the bottom right, you all see Antioch, right? That's in the first missionary journey. That's the starting point. And they go all around to these different cities. And they end up, they go as far as that other Antioch in Minor Asia, right? Or by Minor Asia. In the second journey, that is where we're picking up with the story. He's starting in Jerusalem, and he's going up to Antioch and Syria again, and he's going all the way back to, uh, to the Antioch uh, by Asia. And this time he's deciding, I want to go to the province of Asia. I've not shared the gospel in the province of Asia yet. We need to go there and tell them about Jesus. Now, let's imagine, we, we are so excited about Jesus, we want to do this, right? They haven't heard. We need to tell them, them about Jesus. Those are the cities down there with Ephesus, Snidus, Patara, however you pronounce it, I'm trying. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, let's go. Let's get ready on our journey. And suddenly, no. Suddenly, something weird happens. They're being told, no, you cannot go here. What? Why? <laughs> Imagine, like, what would come into your head if you were Paul? Like, why not? Surely what I'm trying to do is a good thing. Surely what I want to do is a great thing to share the gospel in these places. They have never heard about Jesus. They need to hear about him. And the Holy Spirit is just like, no. So they're like, fine, okay. Let's head north. And they head to Bithynia, which is at the, where, roughly where actually Asia stands right there, okay. Um, north of Troas. And they're wanting to head there. And they're heading north. It's like, and again, as they're about to enter Bithynia, No. What? <laughs> Why not? Why, why cannot not share the gospel there? And I don't know if, how well it is about you, but I would start getting confused. I would be like, am I actually hearing the Holy Spirit right? Is it maybe, is it maybe my own fears that is keeping me from preaching? I would be start, starting to be doubtful, be like, maybe there's something wrong here. But Paul and Silas... They trusted God. They trusted that what they were hearing was the Holy Spirit. And they did 
and we're obedient and went to chores. And that's then when they finally get the call to go somewhere instead of not go somewhere. That's when they get this vision of the Macedonian men calling out for them and going to Greece. Do you realize that this is the first time that the gospel has been preached in Europe? That's the first time that the gospel has been preached. That was their gateway to Europe. And there's two possibilities why they maybe couldn't go to the minor Asia. See, they went on their way back. They went through those cities on the way back, but maybe they weren't supposed to go yet because either minor Asia wasn't ready yet or Paul wasn't ready yet. I don't know how it's about you. If I set myself a goal, it's like I wanted to preach the gospel further than I have before, and I achieved that goal, maybe I would have stopped, turned around already, and went back to Jerusalem. But, but God was like, I don't just want minor Asia. I want Europe. I want Europe. So that's the first time that they're heading to Europe and sharing the gospel over there. And amazing things are happening there. We read in the books of, uh, the Philipp of Philippi and of Thessalonica and Corinth, all of these great cities that are suddenly visiting, amazing things happen there for Paul. Some less pleasant things like getting into prison as well, but some awesome, he's, he's calling them his dear friends because he's built such good relationships so sometimes when we hear God, we don't always understand it. But my question is, how can we follow the Holy Spirit the same way that Paul and Silas did? And I don't know how it's about you. If I read a story like this, I get excited. I'm like, wow, <laughs> we, we actually can listen to the Holy Spirit telling us, go here, wait, don't go there yet, come over here, and that we can actively follow him. Like, I don't know how about, but for me, knowing that I'm in the will of God is the best place I can be in. Yeah. Knowing that I'm doing whatever God wants me to do, that's the best possible place I can be in for myself and for the people around me. There's no, whatever I said in my head can never be as good as what God has for me. So it is better for me to follow what God wants than to follow what I want. And, but knowing it can be achieved is just so exciting for me. And I'm not the only one. My name brother in the Bible, King David, thought the same. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's so desperate to be in the presence of God because he knows that's the best place to be in. In Psalm 23, verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It doesn't matter how horrible of a place we can be physically, as long as we are with God. That's the best possible place we can be. When, when Paul went to Philippi, he was imprisoned. That's not a nice experience, being imprisoned at those times. Because those were nice prisons comparatively to today. Those were dirty, muddy, you were shackled up, you did not have a bathroom. If they were whipped out as well, then they have wounds everywhere that weren't healed. They probably do their business just where they're sitting, which means they're getting infections and all sorts of things. That was not a pleasant thing to be in. And what do they do? 
They worship God. Wow, how, like, I, I don't know how I could ever get to this place, but with God, that is possible. Loving God so much that it doesn't matter how horrible we are, uh, in a situation we are, we can still worship God. And David says the same thing. Even though I walk through the darkest possible place, there's nothing better than being in your presence, God. In Psalm 51, verse 11 says, Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Say, cry out, God, I cannot live without you. And in Psalms 42, verse 1 to 2, he says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? When you read thirst, I don't want you to imagine you're a tiny bit parched and going to the soda machine. I want you to imagine this. That's the experience that they're having. Walking from city to city, long, long miles, and having only a tiny bit of water with them, and then maybe reaching a city, being completely thirsty, completely empty of water, being completely desperate, it's like, so close. And then there's no soda machine there. So they need to go to the well and get the water out of the well, have to fight for it, and by that point, you are thirsty. <laughs> like, really desperately thirsty and in need of water. That's the type of thirst that David and everybody in the Bible are comparing our thirst needing to be for God. My question is, are you that thirsty for God? Are you that thirsty for the Holy Spirit to lead you in your life? Are you so desperately in need? Because I think Paul realized that he needs God. He has done whatever he thought was best, which was killing Christians. He thought, that's the best thing I can do for my God, and it was utterly and completely wrong. He realized, I need the Holy Spirit to lead me. I need God to lead me. And that's the same realization that we need to come in. We cannot do it alone. We need to be in desperate need for God. And Jesus invites us. He says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, whichever feast that was where Jesus talked, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirst, anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's the invitation of our God coming to him and filling our need for thirst, for the Holy Spirit, for him. How we thirsty for God in that same manner. In John verse 3, verse 8, it says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. There's a key reason why they compare the Holy Spirit to the wind. It's not the first time they do it all over the Bible. Matter of fact, the words that they use for the Holy Spirit some Greek and Hebrew, as it's usually when I'm preaching. Um, Greek, everybody say pneuma. Pneuma. And for Hebrew, they use ruach. Ruach. That already sounds like breathing, doesn't it? It already sounds like a wind. Ruach. <laughs> and these words are being usually translated to God's spirit. 
wind, and breath. What happens in Genesis? The spirit of, water, of God is hovering over the water. The ruach of God is hovering over the wild water. And when God creates humans, he ruachs his spirit into us. Right? He breathes his spirit into us. Why do they use the wind and breath as an analogy? Because the Holy Spirit is an invisible force that has vis very visible effects in our world. The wind outside, you cannot see the wind, but you can very well see the effects of the wind in our reality. The same way with breath. You cannot see my breath, but you can see the effects that the breath has had that I'm still standing here not falling over right now. Right? In the same way, the Holy Spirit is like that. It is invisible, but it has very visible, as Dave has discussed with us over the last few weeks, has very visible effects on us in our lives. And great things happen all over the Bible when people are actually partnering with God. Craftsmen that are able to perform better tasks than ever because they're in contact with God's Holy Spirit. Many awesome things are happening. So that's why they're using the wind analogy. But what does it say? The wind blows wherever it wants. Does it mean I can control the wind? No. I can maybe get a tiny bit of energy from it with our, <laughs> with our wind turbines, but that's about it. I cannot control, okay, wind, go here. Wind, go there. We cannot do that. In the same way, the Holy Spirit cannot be led by us, but instead, the Holy Spirit wants to lead us. Another thing for us to realize if we want to follow the Spirit is we're going on a journey with God. God is not coming on a journey with us. How often are we treating God as an add-on to our lives? I'd like to have a number three, please. And have I, can I have a side of fries? God is the fries sometimes in our lives, right? <laughs> But God doesn't want to be that. God wants to be the main thing that we follow. In Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first, not second, not third, not fourth. First, that is the massive challenge that God is calling us into. Let me ask you a question. If God was to ask you to move away from here, let's say Canada. Doesn't sound too bad. I mean... It's not America, but France, Germany, it's kind of far away. I'm far away from my Germany, my, uh, from my family, but might be a blessing in disguise, okay. What about India, China, North Korea, if God wanted us to move to any of these places? And don't, don't tell yourself, oh, God is not going to tell me that. Because it is very real. Many, many people have heard this calling from God to go and leave wherever he wants you to leave, go to? What if God asks you to quit your job or to sell your house and give it to the poor? Let me, let me tell you, if you wake up in the middle of the night and get that calling, you tell your spouse, they're not gonna be happy with you. <laughs> but would you do it? Would both of you be willing to do it and trust the Holy Spirit that he's going to provide for you? Because again, Matthew 6, verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that you need will be given to you. If we seek first his kingdom, he's going to seek us first. That's, that's exchange happening. But do we trust him enough to do that? 
So to follow the Holy Spirit, my first point is we need to, we need to be desperately in need for it. We need to be desperately in need for the Holy Spirit. And another thing, in Luke verse 11, it says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. And keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And anyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? As you do, right? <laughs> of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The second point is we need to ask. There's a lot of debate between Christians. Does the Holy Spirit only be poured out once in the beginning when we become Christians? Or is it being poured out again when we ask for it? And I like what Pastor Dave said. Yes, the second outpouring comes right before the third, which comes right before the fourth. If we keep asking God to, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, he wants to give us this gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us in whatever situation we're in, in whatever situation we are in, whatever problem or thing that might be happening to us when the wind and the waves are high, when we have problems in our families, in our jobs, in other relationships, God wants to be in the midst of that, but we need to ask him for that. We need to put our pride away and see that we cannot always do it alone and ask him. That's the second thing. The last thing of how to follow the Holy Spirit that I think Paul is showing very well is to test the Holy Spirit. And there's a couple of ways to test it. The first way to test the Holy Spirit is through Scripture, right? God is the same yesterday, tomorrow, today, and tomorrow, so God will not change his behavior just for you. He will be the same. So if God asks us to do something, let's test, is that in line with God's character all along the scripture? That doesn't always help, though. That's like, okay, in the scripture, might be a tiny bit more generic. My thing is very specific. Uh, Old Testament, chapter three, paragraph five, when you buy a house and da 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 in Viridian, you must do this and that. No, that's not how gonna, that's not how it works. So another thing is test it with the fruit. Pastor Dave is gonna talk in a few weeks about the fruit of the Spirit. He's gonna talk about what the fruits of the Spirit look like. But just to give you a quick rundown, there's two types of fruits, the fruit of the flesh and of the Spirit. You can never have both at the same time. The flesh gives envy, anger, lust, hatred, but the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So whatever God is asking us, we should check that. Does whatever this is going to produce, is that in line with these spirits? Or am I starting to get more impatient? Or am I going to start to get angry when it doesn't happen? <laughs> Maybe that's then not the Holy Spirit because God wants to produce these fruits in our lives. So that's a really good to test it. The last thing, and this is where I want to make a differentiation. If God tells us something, I think we should always test it against these two things. If God tells somebody else to tell you, 
I think you need to do a third thing, which is to test in community. Because this is what Paul did. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, that's the Antioch that was further to the right on the map, if you remember, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, he cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them and argued vehemently, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, <laughs> finally the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So what's happening here? There is Jewish Christians that start believing in Jesus, and there is Gentile, so non-Jewish people that start believing in Jesus, which means the Jews would have had a whole lot of ritual that they did their whole life to make them ceremonially pure and to be able to, for them to come into the presence of God, while for the Gentiles, they have not practiced any of that stuff. And they're suddenly learning about Jesus Christ and how he's taking all of our sin, and that he is the way to the Father, but those Jews that are still used to it, they're like, no, 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 wait, you're, you're throwing everything out of order. Like, you need to do this, that, and that. And Paul and Barnabas are like, actually, I don't think so. But what do they do? They go to Jerusalem to test this. So they go into community to the elders, and they're discussing with one another what do you think we should do? And at the very end, after 20 or so verses later, they say, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. So this is a letter that they're sending back. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. And then they're listing these few things that they need to be doing. So it is in community and with the Holy Spirit. They have together been praying and deciding together, is this what the Holy Spirit wants us to do? Sometimes people use this term, oh, God told me something to you, for you. Sometimes, sadly, people use it to manipulate. That's sadly a fact. So sometimes we need to be careful and see, does it align with God has been speaking to me about already? or maybe other people have been telling me about already. And if not, maybe file it, maybe it's for some, for some time later. It happens quite a lot that somebody gets a word for you and it doesn't apply until 20 years later. That might happen. But we need to be careful that unless God tells us ourselves that we need to test it, is it what he's telling the whole church to do, right? Or a great part of the church. So these are the three things that I want us to come away. How can we follow the Holy Spirit like Paul and Silas? First, we need to desperately, desperately need and want the Holy Spirit, like King David did. The second thing is we need to ask. We need to be willing to ask. And the third thing is we need to test it. We need to test if this is the right direction that we're wanting to go into. We're wanting to, uh, the next song that we're going to sing to, uh, is sing is... Um, set a fire. And while I was preparing the sermon, God was putting this song on my heart and I was just starting to sing. And this cool thing about the song is there's this part that says, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Are we so in need for God that we want more? That we want that God sets a fire into our hearts. 
I want to finish out with a story. And it's a generic story that happens all over the world. It's about these Christians that are being persecuted and being put into prison. Okay, and it's a horrible prison condition. So they cannot have the Bible in with them because that's why they're being put in prison for, for the first place. So maybe they're having a page of the Bible that they're smuggling in, just a single page, and they're eating and feasting on that. Maybe some of the other Christian fellows has a different page that's swapping them out when nobody's looking. And they're, they're hungry for it. At some point they get freed and they're going back to their home country say America, Germany, Canada, wherever that is. And I've heard people say that they, some of them want to go back. Some of them want to go back because that's the closest that they've ever felt to God. That's the closest that they've ever, isn't that crazy? That they're so desperate for God that in their home, in their comfort zone, they can't be as close as when they're desperately, desperately in need for the Holy Spirit. My question is, do you want to be, do you want more of God in your life? Do you want more of him? The first minute of this song or so, I just want you to reflect on this question. Do I want more of God? Do I want to be so desperately in need for him that nothing else matters? And then at some point, Ryan will invite you to sing along. And that's then when I want to challenge you. Sing this song out loud if that's the case. Our prayers have power. So don't sing it lightly, but sing it if you desperately, desperately want more of God. That's my challenge for you. Amen. Amen.